Borak Thongerthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the 95th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of Prague. One month of progs at a time. This episode, we're taking a break from the weekly progs and once again venturing into the uncharted waters of special editions. In this case, the 1983 sci-fi special. Uh, increasingly, these specials become are, are, are slightly longer stories by interesting creative teams, as well as excellent uh, classic 2000 AD action. And now, 1983, they all contain... Um, Several pages of the Judge Dredd Saturday comics. The price for this special has only gone up five pence this year to 55p. But the most important thing is that my guest for this episode is the fantastic cast own Stephen Lacey. Hello, Borak Thung, even. Borak <laughs> <laughs> Thung, indeed. Welcome. Yeah, your show is a big influence on, on, on us here in Space Spinner, uh, from just the, you know, from the concept of just going month by month to, um, using the, uh, British number ones for the music of the show, which I've stolen blatantly from your number one of the week. <laughs> Uh, feature on your on your show <laughs> fantastic my lawyers will be in touch <laughs> oh no <laughs> but before we get started on the special i'm just wondering if you could share with us your uh, 2080 history uh sure well first i've got to say um i have been a big fan of this podcast i think i stumbled upon it about 10 episodes in when the mm-hmm. 2000 ad twitter feed mentioned it and it was only later down the line i realized the connection between our two shows and the influences um, and I was really pleased when I found the podcast because I'd had for about two years this thought of I'd love to do something <laughs> with progs and reading them through, mm-hmm. uh, seeing how the strips, because uh, it's all very well to read like a, a Judge Dredd uh, mega collection, a complete right. case file, sorry, but it's um, you're not reading all the stuff that's published alongside it. And I, I love seeing how these things change uh, over time. So I was really glad when you guys did it because I had no idea how or when I was going to. <laughs> yeah, I should I say I didn't have to worry. <laughs> yeah, I, sh- I should say the the Fantastic Cast is uh, a show you a- that you and your co-host do um, w- doing the Fantastic Four um, every episode and cameo, etc. So it's the you know the, the monthly Fantastic Four episode, and then usually like the the two and ones featuring the thing. Um, earlier is all all those all the strange tales with um, okay. with with the Human Torch. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So uh, yeah, we, we basically do what you guys do, which is read through from the beginning of it um, because. Uh, the, the Marvel Universe is a much bigger thing than the, the stable of 2018 um, publications. We dive into anywhere the Fantastic Four pop up, whether it's a spin-off, a guest appearance, you know, a one-panel cameo just to help flesh out the Marvel Universe. We'll take a look at it and give it some coverage. And we, we've been going, you know, the beginning of the Marvel Universe was summer 1961 and we're currently uh in early 1978 so we've covered an awful lot of comics if you know your fantastic four we're just approaching the len ween marv wolfman crossover george perez has penciled his last issue for quite some time john byrne is waiting in the wings and he might be relevant for today who knows (laughs) Uh, and in marvel 2 and 1 we're reaching the end of the marv wolfman run we've just done the skull the slayer two-parter and the daredevil two-parter um so yeah We've got some great stuff coming, and we're seeing Marvel in the late 70s really get itself uh, back under control, I think, after a little bit of uh, Mm -hmm. wandering. Jim Shooter is editor-in-chief, and for everything you can say negative about him, he does at least get the books back on schedule and give a 
I, I think, give the freedom to create some amazing stories uh, in the yeah. in the last couple of years of the seminars. Yeah, I agree. I, I remember just, for, I've done a, a Doctor Strange podcast previously, and I remember, um, yeah, the, the period with all the reprints and things like that was always a really, a really down time. It's always a bummer when there's some cool cover, and then, and then inside, it's Doctor Strange in his car accident again, or something like that, or yeah. the Fantastic Four fighting uh, Pacepot Pete for the thousand, you know, w- once again, you know. Um, not needed, yeah. no. no. In terms of my 2000 AD history, uh, yes. I I always saw 2000 AD in the newsagent when I was mm-hmm. a kid, and those painted covers in the 90s, which you know nowadays I'd look upon as being fantastic, it, it, it said that the comic was for older readers than myself, even though it probably wasn't, mm-hmm. and yeah, perhaps a, a little scary, because I didn't really have a background in comics that wasn't uh, kids' comics like the Beano or the Dandy. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, I, it just, for the longest time, it was something I never bought, although I liked the ideas. Uh, then I started getting the complete case files when I started going to conventions because 2018 would often pop up and you could get them for a better price than sure. most bookshops. <laughs> Sorry, comic shops. But in, oh, it must have been 2012, uh, they had the, the old 2018 newsstand app. And there was an offer where if you subscribed for a year, you could get three months worth of back progs, mm-hmm. which seemed like a great way. Of, well, I can just start and I can jump back. And if there's a story in progress, I can let that finish. But I can then be on top of everything. And that turned out those three months covered the last few bits of Cave Chaos. Oh, okay. And then, yeah. uh, you know, I was very close to 800. Uh, sorry, not 800, 1800. <laughs> straight after that. I started reading Trifecta with no idea what Trifecta was until that brilliant moment where you turn the page uh, or, or flick the screens. It was, I was reading on iPhone <laughs> 4S. It was tiny and horrible. But when Judge Dredd kicks that door down and then mm-hmm. you're on the other side of the door in another strip and just that realization of what the, the creators behind that was doing, were doing, um, was it's still one of my best comics reading moments, this stealth crossover that suddenly uh, <laughs> launched out of nowhere and was absolutely brilliant. And I've, I've had the opportunity mm-hmm. across various cons to speak to Cy uh, Spurrier, Rob Williams, Nell Ewing uh, about it and how that was kind of my moment where I said, well, I'm reading 2000 AD and I've been <laughs> reading it ever since. Nice. Yeah, I think it's it. it I, I I think you have an interesting story just because I feel like so many times I talk to uh, to sort of older like uh, prog oneers like these you know the, all these guys in their fifties who've been reading two thousand AD since forever. Um, I think it's interesting to hear somebody who's 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 come into it later on. I think I know that's certainly my story and and Fox's as well. Um, well, I mean he he started for the podcast, but I sort of started after the movie and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think I think it's cool just yeah that those one or two moments that that really grab you. I think they still do. I or no, they still do the three month thing actually if, if you get a year because I got it for, uh, with the current app in like 2015. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, they only do that once, unfortunately. So I'm yeah. just paying for the year, but it, it's such a good, you know, there's very few times where I feel like there's more than one story which doesn't hold my attention. Yeah. Um, and, you know, admittedly, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome with some of it, because when I started reading, ABC Warriors was incredibly unfriendly to readers. It was all these mm-hmm. return to stories. You know, yeah. You're waist deep in continuity, and Pat Mills is not interested in making it welcoming for a new writer. <laughs> Sorry, a new reader. Yeah. Um, uh, but just by reading and reading and reading and then doubling back with the podcast and reading Robusters and that first ABC Warrior strip, I feel 
Like, I'm a little more grounded in it. At least I know who the characters are, even if a lot of the events I'm unaware of. Uh, but I, I feel that's better. And a similar thing happened with Slain, where I just... I, I'm not even oh, yeah. pronouncing it right, I know, but well, um, you know, <laughs> I, it's something that I absolutely love, even though that this huge history of the character is completely lost to me. But yeah. those individual stories and, and that brilliant artwork, it, it just wins me over. Yeah, I mean, that's what I feel about a lot of modern two or a lot of modern two thousand. Yeah, I've, I've sort of like I've read the first like thousand or so progs, and then I picked up again when I started my subscription at like nineteen fifty or something like that. So it's about like nine hundred and fifty. <laughs> like frogs that are just sort of like undiscovered country for me almost you know so it is a lot of like i know the basis of like slain or something like that but then um when he you know you know there's also just a lot of interconnected things and i'm like okay like i guess we'll get to that eventually i'll figure it out yeah i mean i obviously i think a, a great thing about the current frogs uh, is that Judge Dredd is always new reader friendly. I've mm-hmm. never felt lost within that, even when you're looking at something like the en- Enceladus stories, which Rob Williams has been telling, which are interconnected. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's enough effort to give you the background you need to enjoy the story without going, oh, well, I don't remember this, uh, yeah. even though I've read it. Yeah, uh, I feel like definitely as you read through, especially the modern progs, like different different thrills have different degrees of difficulty, I guess. <laughs> like, there, there, there might be dread, which might be a little bit easier to read and pick up and things like that. And then you get into some of the, the, the more out there Pat Mills stuff where it's kind of like, okay, like, I guess I just have to go to the, go to the background, go to the archives to try to pick up yeah. what, what step, what step one was, you know. Well, yes, and then you're reliant as well on the whims of what gets reprinted and collected. So, for absolutely. instance, you can absolutely go and read The Horned God, and you can read the more recent Britannia Chronicles, but you can't pick up, like you can with Strontium Dog or Judge Dredd, yeah. complete collections which just take you through everything because they don't exist. Yeah. Well, hopefully someday you'll be able to get um, audio coverage from Space Spitter 2000. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, cool. Um, I should say also, I just want to do a general plug for the Fantastic Cast. I really um, enjoy it, and just going through all of the Fantastic Four's adventures and things like that. Um, especially as you guys have gotten into the into the seventies, and um, um, just things get a little bit more like like the. I I, I guess I, I feel like the stories grow up a little bit. I don't know, but. Um, I also just like, especially more recently, you guys have, because at the end of your shows, you do the, uh, the, the number one of the week and it started being sh- songs that have been the op- the opening, <laughs> the opening closing songs for this show. I'm like, oh man, they're like, they're catching up on my heels here. You know? <laughs> well, you're moving much faster than we are, but yes, um, uh, because we have passed that point in 1977 when yeah. 2000 AD came along and I, I call it the, I call Prog One the most important comic published in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. And Giant Size X-Men number one is the second most important um, because of what they both did to the comics industry in the 80s. Yeah, absolutely. We're starting, to see, we're, we're starting to see the effect of that now just as, um, mm. I mean, we're at, we're at a point where I think DC is really starting to poach a lot of artists from 2000 AD. Like, I think, um, you know, we've had Brian Ballin's last work in the Prague. Um, yeah. Like, Dave Gibbons is about, is like sort of finishing up, doing some last, like, uh, future shocks and time twisters and stuff, and then he'll be gone. Um, and Alan Moore is just starting his, uh, he's, we're just, uh, starting Skiz as we're starting now, which is his first big, um, like multi, multi part story, essentially. So 
we're seeing a lot of a lot of famous guys sort of either leave 2000 AD or get their start there, or like right now in the, in the frogs. Yeah, the British invasion is just beginning because uh, Camelot 3000 has already happened. Or mm-hmm. well, I say happened. It, it took a very long time to happen because it's Bolland uh, sequentials. But yeah, um, Alan Moore, I, I'm pretty sure he's on Saga of the Swamp Thing by now. Yeah, it's eight, uh, yeah, it's like early '83. I don't, I forget about his American stuff. I know he's like right in the middle, of like V for, for, for Vendetta in Warrior and things like that. But um, that's obviously a, a British thing. That's of course the a British Americans thing. Yes. In no. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, but so let's get to this sci-fi special. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just before we start, yeah. So we we're, we're we're coming to this one in our last episode. We just got we just finished Prague uh, three oh eight. So that means uh, Harry twenty has just ended and Skiz is just starting. Uh, Dread just fought the Trapper Hag and the great Steve Dillon story. Um, Robo Hunter has just finished its massive musical storyline, and, Ro- and Rogue Troopers in the middle of the uh, of the climax of the Fort Nero storyline, which I really like. Um, so the special starts. We got a giant cover by of a by Ron Smith of Dread Russian forward firing his lawgiver as the Statue of Judgment looks on. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Mm. And then just cover things for Rogue Trooper, Return of the Jedi, and Tharg the Mighty. As you've never seen them before. <laughs> <laughs> I love this because it's a painted cover. And obviously mm-hmm. painted artwork becomes defined 2000 AD as, as the printing eventually got better. Yeah. I've seen plenty of comments about the crocs <laughs> looking like uh, basically painted with mud because of the colors. But mm-hmm. here it looks gorgeous. Um, the way that the pen and ink on Dread just gives way to the full paints of the background. And yeah. this would have really caught my eye. Yeah, it's re- This is an interesting volume, too, because it's different than a regular prog, because it's, of course, longer, but also it's more of like a regular comic book, I guess, instead of a more, the more square, like, regular progs, I think. Like, this whole thing is, is really more like sort of what I think of, of, of as an American, like, comic book annual, I guess, you know, about mm-hmm. 60 pages, self-contained, um, it's good to take to the beach and things like that, as opposed to the, to the hardcover annuals of most British things that we've seen. <laughs> Yeah, the hardcover annuals. Were, uh, were Which are more for Christmas, yeah. Yes. <laughs> the, the idea is your grand can go and pick one up and, and hand it over. And it's great seeing the adverts for some of them, because I look at it in the progs and go, really? That, that was a thing? Who brought the Big Daddy annual? And what the hell did they put in it? It's like wrestling stuff, right? I, that's why yeah, I understand it, Big Daddy uh, to be... <laughs> It was a British wrestling star. Yeah. Because uh, wrestling was, a, I want to say, a Saturday afternoon big television show on ITV, British wrestling. <laughs> and it was, there were the characters, but it, it, it didn't have that uh, stage theatrical nature of uh, US wrestling. Yeah. I'm sure it was just full of like 20 year old reprints and things like that. Just like how the, uh, I think in 83, they might still be making like tornado annuals or something like that. Yeah. Things for, for long ended, like folded into 2000 AD comics. Just it's keeping the brand alive. Whatever someone had in the draw, it's like, and now Big Daddy presents a three-page feature on bird watching, and it's just a little picture and say, bird watching would be really cool, chaps. Find out more about it, and that's it. Absolutely. Yeah, I think we got one in annual that was just about motorcycles, because it's vaguely Judge Red related. But yeah. so... On the on the inside cover, it's just a big Carlos Escara, um Tharg welcoming us to the thing. You know, check your th- your thrill circuits and all that. Um, and then we get to the money of if for for my, for my opinion of this of this annual as we go to uh, through one Judge Dread. 
<laughs> um, script robot for Judge Dredd is John Wagner and Alan Grant is T.B. Grover. Art robot John Byrne and lettering robot Tom Frame. Sorry, sorry, Art robot who? That's right. Yeah, it's the uh, the biggest news here is that the art's being done by Fantastic Four, X-Men, Wonder Woman, Star Trek artist John Byrne. He's just, I guess, has come to England to draw a Judge Dredd story for some reason. <laughs> I mean, this was a. This was at the. This was yeah. period of being John Byrne. He'd come off X Men. He was doing Fantastic Four. He's a couple of years away from Superman, but you know, you you couldn't have got much bigger than John Byrne at this time. And so this is this is a coup to get what fourteen pages out. Yeah. There. What's really amazing, though, I think, is that they don't really they never really talk about her anywhere. You know, no. like Tharg doesn't mention it in the opening of this annual. I've looked in the nerve centers of the Progs, and it's not like they barely even mention the sci-fi special existing. <laughs> like, 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 there's no, like, hey, check out the sci-fi special of this hot artist writing, you know, drawing Judge Dredd or anything like that. Mm. Um, and you, you compare that to last year's Free Comic Book Day when Michael Red did the cover. And, yeah. you know, that was the headline, was Michael Red draws a 2000 AD cover. Or even for this year's upcoming sci-fi special where they made, like, international news that's going to be an all-female uh, production and stuff like that. It's yeah, just, it's yeah. a funny change of just, like, it being completely un you know what I mean? Mm. And it's funny too. I've, I've I've looked online to see what people like say about this, and there's very little coverage of this time that John Byrne went and like drew drew a, a giant dread uh, strip. Yeah, well, I mean, I consider myself well versed in in comics stuff, but until you invited me on here and explained why it was this one, I yeah, this had no was, idea John Byrne had done this. Th- this was my teaser to get to get Steve on the show. Like, hey, like we got 2018 stuff. There's John Byrne. That's related to your podcast, I guess. You know. <laughs> so I guess so. I I think he does really good work here. He does draw some really unique characters, just in like the sportscasters and things like that. Um, there's a little bit of what I know is is your pet peeve for covers of just there being like panels with no backgrounds and stuff. I think that's a big. There's a big problem with that in this. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that does come towards the end where suddenly yeah. oh they, they, they were just drawing the figures and that's yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> but i think he does a, a good dread very strong chin on the dread which i always like to see um that's sort of how i how i gauge my my dread artists you know there's a yeah. there's a gold there's a goldilocks pro, uh of uh, uh, uh situation for dread's chin where you know too little and it's not really dread enough and and too much and it's like whoa <laughs> That's too high. He's just a chin now, you know. <laughs> there, there was a recent, I think, cover where Judge Drent's chin had a chin. The artist just forget he's already drawn the chin. <laughs> awesome. So we we are at the uh, the twelfth annual blockout championship, and blockout seems like the most ridiculous game I've ever seen. <laughs> Because it's like a combination of a quiz show and a turn-based strategy game, I guess, where you answer questions correctly, and for answering questions correctly, you're able to move your players along a three-way checkerboard. And the players then get to, like, the panelists that are answering the questions can climb up and throw a panelist off the side of the, of the board. And when you get all three panelists off, then block out. That team's out, basically. 
and it's crazy. And the three, the th- and there's like I said, it's a three-way um, uh, checkerboard, and the three blocks that have made it to the championship are uh, the Bertolt Brecht block, which is of course the uh, the famous ger- 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 German playwright, and then two hyper English uh, <laughs> blocks. The uh, the Derek Beatty block, which is named after the TV presenter of the Mr. and Miss show. And um, the Arthur Askey block, which is named after um, like a British stand-up comedian, I guess. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> yeah. The, the musical comedian, Arthur Askey, yeah. I looked, I, I like, both of these sent me down like ridiculous, like, like YouTube holes, basically, of, of looking it up. I guess I found yeah. an, an episode of Mr. and Mrs. that like breaks into a, into everybody spontaneously singing Blyden Races or, or Bladen Races. <laughs> I forgot that's why. I, I, I'm interested in why they changed the names because normally, for yeah, the, I agree. So you just named them, but Arturo Aski and, Bert Brecht? Why not Bertolt Brecht and Arthur Askey? That's a good point. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting thing because yeah, they, they generally aren't like shy about having the names of, of of the people involved, and I don't think like the Brecht estate would be like buying this special to <laughs> get the, to like you know um, sue two thousand AD. I guess it just seems like yeah, it's just a weird yeah, so definitely a weird choice for guys that have also had like yeah the um. Like f- definitely full names of both real and fictional characters in um in blocks, <laughs> mm-hmm. but so we basically get two stories in the course of this one. Um, one is one of one of John we- John Wagner's favorite uh, things, which is like sports announcers sort of like excitedly narrating ridiculous happenings, <laughs> which is like <laughs> part of the trifecta of John Wagner humor. I guess like it's it, it's that it's uh, American redneck accents and then uh, like CB radio talk basically are the are, are the big three for him, which get you know fully put together in like the in the in the uh, in the Judge Child saga and then in um, in Ace Trucking and things like that. But then the other story is Judge Dredd um, take running crowd control for this event, dealing with all kinds of just huge, massive crowds, and then the effects of those crowds. Basically, there's go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned the commentators. I know Brian's. It's true. You can <laughs> only there can only be so many robot football commentators. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the same thing of like the uh you know the Bryans in that Robo Hunter story of of talking about like you know uh now um Kev Bev and the Trevs are having like like a tea party on the pitch like oh this is terrible play you know it's not like like they they just they just handle it in their sportscaster voices as opposed to yeah. being like something actually is wrong just like these guys sort of deal with like you know there being a sniper up above the broadcast tower and dread shooting that sniper and the sniper then falling like to his death and they just be like oh our first guy falling past us of the night you know? <laughs> who just hangs there for the rest of the strip every yeah. time there's a shot of the box he's just dangling off oh, the edge of it gosh. which is because he's supposed to be dead. That's quite yeah. a grim humor, even for 2018. <laughs> you know, but... he just, 
you got to keep going, I guess. But uh, yeah, so there's like, yeah, there's there's snipers, there's hostage situations that Dredd just kind of blows up. Um, he just deals with it in his usual sort of Dredd ablom, just like, all right, like we're calling in the reserves or let's bring out these uh, bulldozers with like padded blades to like push people around and stuff like that. <laughs> um Eventually, the um, in, in the end, Dredd has the entire crowd encased in riot foam, including like judges that are among them and stuff. As the uh, as the Arthur as the Arturo Aski block wins the final to a dead silent crowd, <laughs> just because they're all completely uh, uh, wrapped up in riot foam. And uh, it's so covered in riot foam, I suppose that even the uh, even like the floor has disappeared in the art. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> that's the roughest one, I think. <laughs> I think that it literally says, oh, they can present the trophy in the stadium for the first time, um, yeah. whilst refusing to actually draw the stadium. <laughs> it's true. And then it, and then it ends with uh, Dredd making a, a superhero pose, uh, hands on hips. Next year, we use the riot foam before the game starts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one of my least favorite things to read in 2018 are future sports stories, mm. uh, specifically ones where they take it seriously. So, mm-hmm. you know, I enjoyed the first season of Pile of Heroes, but the second version just bored me. Um, mean Arena quickly became a strip that I just skipped past the moment Steve Diller. Steve Dillon stopped drawing. Um, yeah. I, I, my interest waned. And it was really interesting. You guys were calling out as, as thrill of the week. And I'm just, oh, thrill of the month. I'm going, but... Uh, I mean, I the, 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 the times we've done it, I, uh, in, in our defense, has not been for gameplay, but usually for when, like, Matt Talon has done some ridiculous act of revenge. Like, um, I think the big one was, like, for me, the one that always sticks in my mind is when he had, like, one of the people he was getting revenge on, had, like, he forcibly gave him plastic surgery to look like Matt Talon and then had the other team, like, kill him, basically, um, or kill the object of his revenge because they thought they were killing Matt Talon and the Talon, like, reveals himself, which I just love because that's just literally something that, like, the Joker would do, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but instead it's our is our ostensible hero of, of of the piece doing it you know um and so those sort of like incongruities are what get um get mean arena an occasional top spot but i think generally generally i feel like to me i feel like we it's be, it, it really defined the bottom for a lot of its of its time yeah but what's great about the, the sport featured in here is that it is ridiculous, mm-hmm. as all the best Judge Dredd future things are. But it's also kind of prescient as to what was going on in the UK. So uh, the, mm-hmm. the contemporary analogy is um, a show called Bullseye. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of I, it. I haven't, yeah. It, it's actually... Brits are thinking about it a lot this week because the host of it um, passed away this, this week, just gone. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, a, a comedian called Jim Bowen. But it was a, basically a trivia game. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you answered general knowledge questions, there was also a darts element. So you would have darts players come on and they would uh, play darts as well. And the two bits were linked, although I, I, I can't remember exactly how. I think maybe you got more, <laughs> it, you got points for the quiz and points for the darts thing as well. Oh, wow. And in the 90s, then there was a version where you would answer questions and give a snooker player enough to add more time to <laughs> clear a snooker game called Big Break, which, despite being hosted by a vicious racist misogynist, um, as a kid, I loved it because it was snooker, it was genuinely entertaining. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but but there's this idea, certainly in the UK, that you can't just have a, a general knowledge quiz show, although there are plenty of those. There has to be right, uh, some kind of ridiculous element as well. So there's one where you have to, it's almost like curling. You're, you're sending this uh, thing along the ground, uh, hoping it will stop in a certain area. Hmm. There's uh, one way, you know the, the machines you get at the arcades where you put the pennies in, or I, I don't know, coins in, and there's the moving shelf. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. pushes it off, yeah. So, that's an early evening quiz show where you are playing a version of that and answering general knowledge. So, you know, this idea that's, of you've got these general knowledge questions and then these teams ready to beat the crap out of the people <laughs> who are answering the questions. It's not that far-fetched. That's interesting. I f- yeah, we don't really... I, f- I feel like we don't have that that much in America. Usually it's just, like, all, you know, we're... Um, I, I feel like it's just Americans are so easily entertained that it's just... Uh, uh, we just have a light show for the questions and that's it, you know? Yeah. We just like, like some of our formats, like Millionaire or yeah. uh, Deal No Deal. Yeah, but not yeah the uh, the also having an extra game in there that sounds amazing. I guess <laughs> like, <laughs> it was yeah, and yeah, having a sports professional show up. Yeah, well. that's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, that that's kind of I, I think bullseye especially is what um, Grant hmm. and um, Wagner are thinking of when they've uh, created this. Yeah, that's really interesting. But hey, speaking of uh, the uh, games people play, <laughs> Steve, <laughs> it's Thrill 2, games people still play, and Dark's Cosmic Challenge. So, <laughs> this is just, uh, you know, we get these filler in these ones, but the, the games people still play is a very, I feel like a very dad-like uh, spe- uh, feature. <laughs> That's just like, oh, even though there's still video games out there, people still play regular games, too. Thank you very much. Um, This this article could have been written uh, in the sort of mid to late 2000s. You know, once Settlers of Catan really started to change the idea of what a board game could be in Mm. in most people's eyes, instead of just playing, you know, Monopoly, where you're going around the edge or or life or something like that. Um, But it's... It's quite funny because you're looking at this uh, games expo where there's a giant uh, table just for Scrabble. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and then someone's trying to, in, to explain in two paragraphs what a role-playing game is. Yeah, I really uh, lo- yeah. Most of the features about like sort of this proto Dungeons and Dragons or about, about like introducing kids to Dungeons and Dragons for the first yeah. time, which seems really funny to me. I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough to know what edition it would have been, but. Oh, yeah. this would have been this would have been like first like like brand new Dungeons and Dragons edition, <laughs> like because yeah. like the in, in the late seventies is where it starts. Where I think when they're talking about um the uh, like a starter set for D and D is uh, is eight pounds fifty. So I think that's like the uh, what what is what, what sort of as, as as the red box like basic Dungeons and Dragons of of of, of the time, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think it's, yeah, it's funny that, that they're saying, it's just like, yes, like, board games still exist, kids. It's not just uh, video games, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the ethos kind of still stands, because when I talk about gaming with people, I'm talking about the games yeah. that I love to play, like Pandemic or Betrayal at House on the Hill, rather mm-hmm. than, say, Skyrim, or, well, I mean, this shows how out of touch I am, my, my contemporary video game reference is Skyrim. <laughs> 
but it's very much, I feel like just, I feel like it's just a dad article. Just could feel, it could be written. This article could be written now about, <laughs> yeah, about playing betrayal on, on House Honored Hill or, or Catan or something, as opposed to just, you know, you know, good kids with your Nintendos or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, we've got a, a, a cross, a, a word search. And this thing seems complicated because it's basically, there's like, a bunch of a bunch of questions that sort of and the answers are in the word search and then the words that aren't used in the word search then spell something else out um and it just seems like ultimate like you've got your special you're at the beach you need like something to kill that's kill time basically yeah i mean pretty standard uh word search format which is you you eliminate most of the letters by answering the clues and finding them mm-hmm. and then whatever's left uh, will answer the other thing <laughs> um, I just didn't uh, could be bothered to do it. I mean, I can see Gronk Maria Terrestrial Telescope yeah. in there. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I, there every once in a while, not this time, but every once in a while, I get like a used copy of an annual or special where the the kids actually done the uh, the the puzzles and stuff. Mm. And those I find those to be a lot of fun. Um, just <laughs> it's like this was a used uh, uh, a comic, I guess. I don't know, um, yeah. but. Speaking of bringing back old things, I suppose, <laughs> it's Thrill 3, Mach 1. Okay. Uh, yeah, script robot Nick Allen, art robot John Cooper, letter robot Jack Potter. This is classic Prog 22, Mach 1 action. As uh, hyper-powered secret agent John Probe is sent to stop, like, some... Middle Eastern uh, locals who are killing British oil workers because their sacred flame has gone out. And oh man, (laughs) this is just. I mean, can can I say the R word? (laughs) It's, I mean, we just had this big discussion about, about like, uh, the, the soccer story in, 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 in Robo Hunter. But at the very least, it's problematic, if not racist. You know what I mean? Sorry, that Japanese team was was flat out racist. (laughs) That's what I keep, yeah. I felt like I hated everyone involved in that issue. It's definitely like rough. And this one's pretty rough too. If just, um, of these middle Easterners that like, you know, they're either like, you know, bearded Bedouins or like, a uh, a, a, a fat, corrupt, like, um, chic kind of guy that, you know, is first introduced, like gunning down a gazelle with a machine gun from the back of a tank, from the back of a jeep, with his two pet, uh, like overweight cheetahs, basically. <laughs> yeah, he then has this woman beaten for not peeling a crap. I mean, it, it, it. If you're charitably speaking, we could say they're playing off of certain. Uh, I'm using this word in quotes, adventure tropes, um, mm. which is a very specifically British thing. It's, it's the remnants of empire and of colonialism, but it, it, it infiltrates a lot of the literature and a lot of the culture. Um, but they can't even make up their mind which ones they're riffing off of, because you know the first thing we see is this chap uh, pierced by all the spears, um, yeah. which immediately strips you think, yeah. oh, they're somewhere in Africa. This, this, right. this Gola. Gola sounds a bit like Angola, so... Africa, mm. but no, then we're moving into some sort of Middle East and stuff, but the architecture seems more Indian. Um, yeah, they've got like the uh, like the domes like from the yeah. Taj Mahal and stuff. And it, it's, it's, it's so lazy, it can't even be bothered to at least be consistent throughout with its use of terrible, <laughs> archaic, racist <laughs> stereotypes. 
I mean, this feels like, I feel like these sort of tropes are a big problem of Mach 1. We definitely talked about it, like, when we did our initial coverage of it, of just, there's a lot of, like, Asian things and a lot of, um, like, actually mostly Asian stuff, I guess, in Mach 1, where he's, like, you know, fighting, like, Kung Fu guys or, or, uh, or, like, um, llamas that have, pet murderous um yetis and things like that um that just yeah, really in my mind i was thinking actual llamas with pet yetis no 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 like yeah <laughs> no that'd be that'd be uh, south american but um, but it's like it's one of these things that um you know the 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 mach one collection has just come out and it's definitely something that i feel like you always have to address when you're when you try to talk about mach one is just that it's really ground zero for a lot of it like like mach one is a super problematic fave basically <laughs> like, yeah, um, it, it can there's some really good stuff in there uh but yeah i mean i don't think it's as problematic as yeah, I, I hate being, I hate saying this because you know, Jerry Finley Day is still with us, but he wrote some incredibly racist stuff. Hello, mm. first half of Ant Wars. And I read <laughs> the first opening chapters of the, the, the prison in space thrill that's just begun. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. Reading. Yeah, Harry Twenty. Yeah, Harry Twenty's got a lot of that. Really racist stuff in there. It's just like this guy either writes incredibly racist stuff or very good war stories. Right. And basically, Rogue Trooper. Yeah. Right. Um, and. Well, I like Invasion too, as we'll talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I know what you mean. It's definitely like, it just, you know, all this stuff, it's just, it, for me, it always just comes out, it, it's always like like a strike out of the blue, I guess. I'm just like, oh, man. Mm. Like, this could have just been a story about a guy getting eaten alive by his own pet cheetahs, but instead we got all this other stuff, you know? Yeah. Or or of, of, of John Probe escaping being buried alive by tunneling to the ground like Bugs Bunny, basically. Uh, and... Um. And even if we take this stuff out, um, John Probe doesn't really do very much in this. No, definitely not. He goes <laughs> yeah. to a meeting. It doesn't go very well. He burrows, uh, uh, burrows his way out of a pit. And then the guy kills himself basically by accidentally shooting a cheetah because he's too stupid to aim properly. Yeah. I mean, he does manage to kill like the, uh, he, he managed to kill the sheiks like, like a toughest dude with one punch with his crazy, uh, hyperpower strength and stuff. Yeah. The guy who's about to, to kill the, the woman. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah, it's true. This is a very like probe just kind of shows up and lets things happen sort of sort of Mach one story it's yeah. not it's it's not one where he's like punching dudes out of airplanes or anything or uh hitting or picking up motorcycles and whapping people upside the heads with them you know yeah um, i mean the shake wouldn't have died if probe hadn't been there uh, and therefore the british might have lost their valuable oils and, and couldn't have kept pressing the native people but um <laughs> You know, it's not exactly the kind of victory where you go, you'd finish that and go, oh, wow. Wow, I never heard of Mac 1 before. I must go and read some more. Yeah, we, it's true. Yeah, it's a very, very pro colonialism win for Mac 1 this week. Yay, colonialism. <laughs> um, think of things that might be a bit more fun from our memories. It's a thrill four, Return of the Jedi. Well, the whole thing. Yeah, 100%. Or at least just, you know, six color pages, I suppose. 
Yeah, what they had access to. Yeah, it's just the, uh, yeah, it's the, uh, just like the, a central color panel of six, like, yeah, production stills basically from the Return of the Jedi thing. I think the biggest achievement of this is that they were able to get the name change, um, in on time because it changed from Revenge of the Jedi to Return in like December mm-hmm. of 82. So to get, you know, to change that and get that out is like, you know, at least a, must have been at least a couple, uh, like, uh, you know, stressful nights at the uh, at the publishing station. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're good quality reprints uh, or, or reproductions of the photos. It has to be said, mm-hmm. um, and in color. And I, I did note the last paragraph said, uh, "Return of the Jedi completes the second trilogy of the projected nine-part Star Wars story." And the next chapter promises to go back to events that took place before those in the first Star Wars film. Despite a three-year wait between episodes, the mighty Star Wars saga looks set for a long and highly successful run. How long was that three-year wait? <laughs> oh my God! Well, I, twenty-six I, years. I think they might be saying the three might be from uh, from Empire to um, to to Return in that one. Yeah. But it's definitely, yeah, like, I think it's really, I think it's really hilarious. Just, yeah, this sense that, like, yeah, there's more Star Wars trilogies coming. Like, don't, you know, don't, you know, hold your breath for them to come out. You know? And what did we get to Ewoks movies and the droids animated series? <laughs> it's true. And then Jar Jar Binks. It's just like, it's, it's just, it's, I think it's kind of amazing to think that the kids that were reading this and this uh, special would then be taking their kids to see the Phantom Menace. And that would be like the next prequel, you know, the next Star Wars movie, basically. (laughs) Um, Also, I I, I just want to always call out that at least this one gets everybody's name right as the uh, the first sci-fi special had a had 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 one of these for the first Star Wars movies. And they uh, call Harrison Ford, Luke Skywalker and something that I I find funny to this day. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I note no picture for Lando Calrissian, the That's only true. person of color in the original style. I will. I, I will say in 2008's defense that in the uh, in the annual for this year, the 2080 1984 annual, there is an extensive Billy D. Williams interview. Okay. Cool. Like they like talk to him about like him getting the job and like what he likes about science fiction and stuff. It's actually kind of a cool one uh, coming up in episode one hundred four, I guess. Nice. Does he plug the whiskey? <laughs> he he does not talk about cold forty five <laughs> at this point, although it does work every time. So I think that's important for us all to be aware of. <laughs> And and speaking of it working every time, it's a thrill five Thorg the mighty. So, as always with Tharg stories, no writing credit. Um, art, it's written by Tharg, man. <laughs> sure. Probably like Steve McManus or someone like that. Um, art robot Mike White, letting robot Peter Knight. Uh, it's the day the world died nearly. Uh, we open with a military parade in, in Red Square, which I guess is coming soon to America. I don't know. Um, showing off some sweet new nukes. When suddenly those missiles disappear. Uh, meanwhile, you know, it's a priority nuclear alert. Meanwhile, the same thing happens with the space shuttle Columbia as it, as it's taking off. Reagan is not pleased. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, Tharg is doing like single finger curls of a 500 ton weight of a 500 ton barbell as a police officer comes to uh with a with a letter from the pm and so thark hands the uh, 500 ton weight off to the policeman and he's immediately like just crushed underneath it which is pretty funny i think they don't even show him falling he's just instantly buried underneath it with a snap's neck i mean you know it's on his chest i guess but okay. whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's definitely he's definitely dead i feel you know we're just 
<laughs> ranging deck there shares on the Titanic about how. But uh, so Thug's gotten a uh, gotten a telegram from the PM. Um, which I think is Tharg's fourth or fifth interaction with Margaret Thatcher in the course of 2018 so far. Um, but he's got to deal with this, so he steals the uniform off the dead body of this policeman and then flies off to uh, find what the problem is. Um, he finds the missing space shuttle and a fair amount of the world's landmarks uh, <laughs> on the on the dark side of the moon. A lot of the New York City skyline is like the UN building and the Statue of Liberty, as well as like Big Ben, the Eiffel Tower, the U.S. Capitol, things like that. And suddenly, all the Russian nukes are streaking towards them. Oh no! But luckily, Tharg's powerful enough to stop the nukes right away because that's how Tharg gets down. Uh, <laughs> It turns out this whole situation was being done by Tharg's nephew, Jocko Jargo, and he's just going to play Skittles with um, the nukes and all the world's landmarks, which my understanding is some sort of British version of, of, of bowling, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Skittles. You'd often find it in pubs, so uh, okay. uh, they might have a Skittle alley out back. Um, and yeah... You, uh, the skittles are wooden, quite like wooden things. They aren't necessarily shaped like the pins. Mm-hmm. They're more like a, a slightly elongated barrel, shall we say? Ah, uh, but you'd still roll a ball down towards them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. So with Tharg on the case, you know, he can immediately god mode his way out of all this stuff. He returns everything back to its proper place, the wave of the hand, and um, then dispatches a Rigelian hotshot to chase Jocko Jargo all the way back to uh, Beetlejuice. Mm. Um, you know, it's just another one of these Tharg stories where there's some problem, and all it takes is Tharg sort of identifying the problem and waving his hand to immediately fix it, you know. Tharg returns back home, where it appears that these, this policeman has, in fact, not died, but is instead just trapped. <laughs> and Tharg gives him his clothes back, and I guess the day is saved. <laughs> I am reading through Thrill Power Overload, uh, mm-hmm. both versions of it. I, I used to get quite sort of defensive when I'd read, like, Pat Mills and everyone who worked on the prog in the 80s, saying, oh, Tharg, we should never have come up with him. He's just terrible. I, was thinking, I, I like the gimmick. Then I've read these stories that have plagued the last sort of hundred or so progs, mm-hmm. and I completely agree. I, I, like a Tharg story is like uh, no one had an idea for a future shock. So yeah, it's definitely it's, story. it's definitely worse than a future shock, and it's really depressing when like Iscara or Bellardinelli are drawing them. Like it's like you've got one of these great artists, and yeah. they're like they're, they're just wasted on <laughs> these Tharg stories, basically. Um, and it's also Considering 2008D was, you know, this this hip comic, this, you know, a punk adjacent, shall we say, mm-hmm. sensibilities to see Tharg just go, oh, Margaret Thatcher's asked me to do something. I'll definitely do it. No questions <laughs> asked. I, I really don't want to see Tharg as Maggie's lackey. It's true. Yeah, it's definitely been like a thing. Been been a recur been a disturbing and recurring theme uh, throughout Tharg's um, existence. Well, I guess it makes sense. I don't know, like uh, virtue signaling for kids or something like that. I mean, I I like Tharg as um, I like him in the Nerve Center. I guess like I kind of like him introducing the comic and just sort of talking about random things. Sometimes you know, I think that can be sort of if it's not like funny, then it's just sort of I don't know. It's just like a nice thing I like to see every time. I guess it, it, it's part. Of the identity of the comic and yeah and, yeah if the gimmick's confined to the introduction
reception to the prog that that seems to work. Yeah, or I feel like yeah, you have like the the two thousandth prog where Tharg is sort of you know giving the tour of the as you go through all the different strips. Yes, that that again really works. But when it's just a, a crap sci-fi story, yeah, the, yeah, the adventures of Tharg, I feel like you know yeah. it can be done without for sure. <laughs> Screw um, the dictators, screw the thrill suckers. Just yeah. None of that is interesting. What is more interesting are the, the droid versions of the various stuff. Like Absolutely. Like the Alan Grant droid. Yeah, um, it's, it's so funny. Tama Shanta in his uh, tartan scarf, right? Or the uh, the Tom Frame droid with his with his sideburns, or the yeah. uh, the Alan Moore droid with his big beard and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after the Tharg story, there's a full color picture of um, Tharg the Mighty, sort of standing in front of a bunch of 2000 AD um, issues. It's a it's a rough picture in the actual magazine because the split for the page is right down the middle of Tharg's oh, face. No. It's like. It's really hard to see. Like it's terrible. Um, but I have to say, looking at the um, digital copy that is legal, uh, <laughs> the mask doesn't look anywhere near as terrible as I thought it was going to. In color. I, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, apparently it's like a, a caveman mask that has some one of the ladies that work in the offices like like a pin like glued to it. Like that's the Rosetta of Sirius or something. Yeah, I gotta say, being able to see it better in the digital version, I just look at the eyes of whoever's in that um It's it's Steve McManus, I believe, because yeah. I because he tells a story about there being like someone like there being sort of a community outcry about something in that that. that something Tharg said in 2000 AD and like the publish and like one of the lower level publishers made him like put on the costume, like go to like the CEO's office and be like, people are taking this seriously. And st- and he's like, I didn't even oh. say anything. I just sort of like <laughs> stood there and then walked home, like feeling sad. almost. I, I mean, I, I think you've read it, Conrad, but if any of the listeners have not read, um, Stephen McManus's uh, memoirs about being Tark the Mighty. Yeah, they're the, brilliant. They are yeah. absolutely fantastic. I was very lucky. I, I went to the launch of the book at Orbital Comics a couple Ooh. of years ago where Stephen McManus was being interviewed. Um, and you had lots of the 2000 AD people there. Like uh, Mike Mulcher was there, which was great to actually meet him in the flesh after he'd beaten me to the British <laughs> Podcasting Awards that year. <laughs> I mean, we, we didn't even get the nomination and he won, but still. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, I can, I can certainly empathize as, as someone with an American podcast with mostly British listeners, so I don't think I'd be eligible. <laughs> yeah, but um, it, was the only, it was the first year and uh, you didn't have to pay, so we ended ah. uh, the next week. had to pay, so we didn't. Uh, but it, it was amazing to hear him talk about it, and he's just... Um, I could listen to him talk about those times all day because it, there are so many more stories that didn't make it into the book. But yeah, it's hidden under there, and uh, yeah, I feel like Marvel made other people do this. Very famously, Jonathan Frakes was their Captain America for a number of years. But um, no, if you're at 2018, you're the boss. You are literally Stark. Yeah, it's I. I always found like one thing I I have found kind of interesting is that in these stories, it's always um, like the sub editors are the ones with the caricature robots. You know, it's like you know Alan One or whatever is. is you know Alan Grant, who's the sub editor? It's not like Kelvin Gosnell or, or Steve McManus. They're always Tharg in those situations. Yeah, and I feel like I don't know. I, 
in my mind, I kind of imagined that it should be like the chief editor is the guy who gets characterized in the comic, and then Tharg is sort of a mystical guy above, sort of the uh, like the Stan Lee almost of like Marvel, where he's sort of this editor, but he doesn't really like he's like the editor in chief, so he's not really like you know in the office all the time. And he just sort of shows up once in a while to like put a nose on Iron Man or something like that, you know. Yeah, um. <laughs> I mean, it's obviously well, it's well for 2008 because yeah. I don't ever remember seeing the name Steve McManus with it unless he's no. writing a strip. Yeah, uh, which means that when he goes, if you're not aware of what's happening, you don't feel like the 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 prog is changing in any way. It's still Clark. Definitely, yeah. Um, I feel yeah. Nowadays, we're all more aware that it's it's Matt Smith. Yeah, I um, feel like they're so good at. A, I, I always call it a kayfabe, which is the idea in like professional wrestling that like you know wrestling's real and these people actually are their characters and stuff like that. They do a lot of stuff like with the with like the, all the pseudonyms and like with Tharg and things like that of just keeping you away from 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 knowing all that stuff in this era of the comics. Like, I mean, even to the point where like I think in the first Dread Annual they reveal that. uh the pseudonym John Howard is actually John Wagner and within a couple months like the John Howard persona has been retired and it's T.B. Grover writing uh, Judge Dredd yeah. and stuff yeah and, and yeah this, this is all part of the you know the knowledge now like 2008 don't even attempt to pretend that Matt Smith isn't the editor right Stark. Uh, you know he pops up regularly on the thrill cast he represents the, the prog around the world you know and that that's absolutely fine yeah um, it's nice to have that little layer of facade for that <laughs> opening page. For sure. Uh, but speaking of, of, of pseudonyms, actually, it's uh, Thrill 6, the Von Ballen tape. <laughs> Just, are you sitting there with, I've got five different ways of getting into this. Let's see which one's most relevant to what's just been said. I mean, really, I try to just do it on the fly, you know, <laughs> but it's really a tenuous transition. It's, astonishing. it's really, you know, after about 95, you know, 95 episodes in at this point, it's just second nature of like, all right, I feel like I'm ready to go. Let's like start scanning these sentences for transitions. You know? I mean, I've, I feel like, I don't know if you ever listened to the Bugle podcast back when John Oliver was on it, but any time Andy Zaltzman would start veering towards an incredibly tenuous and hilarious pun, you just have John in the background going, no! Oh, I feel like that's what Fox should be doing every time it's a transition. Oh God, he's starting. No! Oh. I mean, you can, sometimes you can hear it in the reverb of when I say the thrill thing. Like, I, I, I definitely hear it a lot where, you know, I'm like, thrill too. And Fox is like, no! <laughs> they're they're there they're there and spe- also again speaking of shouting no it's the big text story of this, of this special <laughs> oh. Um, so oh man you know i always feel like the uh like the most uncultured of americans when i'm like oh i hate these words in my comic book <laughs> With uh, no, 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 I hate these words in my comic. <laughs> okay, well. um, excellent. Do you remember that Grant Morrison Joker issue, which was just a tech story all the way through? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> apparently, that's super important to his whole big bat epic. I've never read it. It's just, it, it, it offends my sense. It offends my sensibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, if you're a good comics writer, you're not necessarily a good text writer, as Grant Morrison proved. Anyway. Mm. But yeah, so this story, um, it's it's written by uh, Chris Lauder as Jack Hamilton Teed. It's got art by Robin Smith. Robin Smith, of course, is like the art director of 2080. He always gets a chance to jump in in these specials to actually do art for the for the progs and stuff. Um, it's this story is 
uh, it's like a hard-boiled private eye story. You know, a lot of internal narration. Um, he's menaced by a bunch of, uh, like, mafia guys who, you know, speak with an Italian accent. Uh, it's a spicy meatball. Uh, um, and then it kind of turns into a crossover with the comic Timequake. <laughs> Which was in Star Lord and had like four issues in, 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 or four stories in 2000 AD. But it kind of becomes then like, uh, the private detective's like alternate reality self is trying to replace him and the time quake guys jump in and stop him. But the, uh, the detective gets sucked into a time portal and then gets sent back. And that's why he ends up, uh, naked in a police sergeant's living room, basically. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so this is it's a long way to get to the, the punchline, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a sort of yeah, who why he's narrating this story, and it's because there was time travel shenanigans and now he's like, yeah, in a in a police in, and, and now he needs forty quid to get back to London, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it it's not the greatest thing in the world, although I did like there was one bit where they, they delve into like the alternate slang. Mm-hmm. This of uh, where the, the doppelganger comes from. Where yeah, because he comes from kind of a future world. So yeah, so he's like, uh, like, like yeah. he calls a house like abode, and he calls like yeah. identity papers like dents or something. Uh, I think it's denties. Yeah, denties. Um, that's right. And, and it was just like, uh, and that's one of those things that I do like about these alternate things is when just the the colloquial slang differs, and yeah, that works. It's just that oh, this is it's just words, you know. It's like, yeah. <laughs> This would happen in the annuals, you know. You, oh, uh, yeah. It probably still happens now if you go and buy your Marvel Avengers annual. You will have tech stories because they're cheaper. You don't have to pay an artist to do mm-hmm. uh, six pages of sequential drawings. You just get them to do a couple of larger pieces, which are quicker to produce, cheaper to produce. Or alternatively, you can then, uh, instead of having a you know, pen and ink thing, you can actually go into, right, we'll have a nice big painted piece that has the space to show a big image that captures it. I always remember I had the Transformers annual, the UK Transformers annual from the late mm-hmm. 80s, which had a text piece about the Dinobots which uh, had uh, just a, this glorious painted Grimlock piece of him sort oh, of nice. rearing up on his yeah. legs. And that <laughs> image has stayed with me long after the story has vanished. But mm-hmm. the text piece allowed that to come in. Yeah, I think they, there can be good text pieces. And I agree that sometimes they, they do sort of let a bigger art piece work. I remember in, in 2000 AD, there was one for like the Siege of Volgao, like from the ABC Warriors that I really liked. I just had a giant, like full page picture of, of a part of the, of that story. Um, like, yeah, they can be good, but man, just a lot of times you can just sort of feel them just being there to fill the page, basically. They are, yes. <laughs> Well, at least it's one that vaguely attempted to tie into something that had briefly appeared in 2008. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, the fact that it's Timequake is sort of interesting. I mean, you know, the... Because that was a Star-Lord story and was briefly in 2080 following the the merger in, like, 19... I want to say it was in, like, early 79 or something like that. It's definitely... Yeah. At this point, it's pretty far... Like, a Star-Lord or, or a, a, a Timequake thing is pretty far removed. So this would have been, like, an older 2080 reader, like, high-fiving themselves for getting the reference almost, I think. <laughs> um... But oh man, oh, I, I I I had one. Um, but whatever. <laughs> Let's go to Thrill Seven: The Daily Dreads. Um, this is a big feature in these 1983 specials and annuals, where um, 
we have basically just six pages of the daily of the uh, scripts of the uh, su- of the Saturday strips from the Daily Star uh, newspaper, and they're put sideways in the uh, in the in the in the pages of the issue, and like basically each page is just one uh, two two row uh, comic strip, and. And I feel like these daily, like, like, like these newspaper ones are really their own thing. Like, I, at first I, I was dismissive of them, but now they're, they're growing on me. I really love just the speed at which they tell all these stories, you know? Like, these are strips for people who found the early Judge Dredd stories to be too, um, lazily paced. Yeah, they're just everything. I mean, it's not in this one, but I think later in the year there's going to be one for the Apocalypse War, and they do the whole Apocalypse War in one strip. <laughs> it was like six months what? of progs. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be deliberate. That, that's got to be them, right? I feel like, a, yeah. <laughs> How ridiculous can we make this? Absolutely. One panel, two panels of Walter and Maria. Like yeah, well, it's it's literally like like I think like yeah like the, like it starts the block where there's a big like sort of like like two panel thing of like Kazan looking over the invading forces, and then like but then Dread manages to hijack a a, a missile silo and shoot the missiles back at um, Beast Meg One. Like it's the full story. It's just like it's just reducing I mean, it's 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 reducing a lovely marbled like steak to like you know half of a hot dog basically i mean these, these things they they one thing that really goes for me they've got lovely art by ron smith absolutely the the layouts are really distinctive so they could have just been two lines of four panels each and done but you've got lots of varying panel sizes lots of different ways of having the panels laid out the one catch a falling perp the way the panels overlap each other to um, guide your eye across the page is really mm-hmm. good. Um, yeah, I mean, they, but they are set up, quick twist, resolution, pity line from Dread, done. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I should say, the, uh, the, I think what's interesting too is that for the script, for the, uh, for the script droid for these ones, it's actually John Wagner, like the newspaper was not putting up with this, um, with the pseudonym stuff, you know? Like you gotta yeah, use your real name for this one. As well. Oh, that's probably true, yeah. But yeah, so it's, you know, a bunch of quick stories. There's um, uh, Judge Jensen gets sent to Titan for abusing a perp. There's uh, the Bouncer, which is the, basically the uh, the Boeing story. You know, you guys from the yeah. Palais de Boeing get loose and Dredd hits him with an incendiary bullet and kills and, and takes him out. Um, yeah, c- catch a perp is sort of one of the, uh, one of the mega, mega rackets. It's like perp running and then Dredd managed to jump aboard a plane and make them like land and stuff it's a big um assassination attempt of the chief judge which uh, is you know a bunch of homing missiles and the judge has to give his life to stop the last one um a crook tries to go straight but then when he gets after he gets a face change he realizes that the prices have changed so he like beats up the face changer um and he goes to his old bar from 20 years ago and dreads waiting for him because you know faces change habits don't uh, and then the final one is like a a three panel like mystery basically where dread like arrives at a pl- orbiting pleasure satellite where there's been a murder like says he's going to lie detector test everybody and um one guy tries to escape and dread arrests him for doing it and you know he's like the ship's co- he's like the ship's comedian and he killed the victim because she said he wasn't funny and i got news for you pal you're not like whoa, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. 
These just again, like I'm, you know, I if, if I recap them quickly, it's because these things go so fast. Of like, you probably spent longer recapping them than yeah. It took to read them. I just, I just love these daily. Like I'm, I'm, I'm really starting to love these dailies just because, or the uh, the the comic strips. I guess I just call them daily dreads because that's the name of the of the book they're collected in. Um, just because, yeah, it's such like it, it's. I've always found, you know, just British comics in general to be really fast, just because, of course, with the anthology format, you've got to sort of do a complete story in like four or five pages, you know? And so, if you compare this to, say, like the American Spider-Man comic, you know, (laughs) which moves at just a glacial pace, these ones going at hyperspeed are are a a real breath of fresh air, I gotta say. (laughs) Well, I mean, talking about the the pacing, I mean, that's why... I always say to people and say, oh, and read Judge Dredge, should I get the first case files? I say, no, no, don't get three or five, uh, because the, the relentless pacing of those what, six pages, one story. Absolutely. It's very exhausting to try and sit there and read the whole lot. Whereas at least with three, you've got Judge Death towards the end. With five, mm-hmm. you've got the mega epic. Uh, you've got something you can get your teeth into. But if you're completely unfamiliar with this, this pow, 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 um, method of uh, telling a story it can be really quite intimidating and exhausting to try and read at that pace uh, you know a year's worth of strips yeah absolutely it's definitely yeah it's such a uh it's so different i guess it's one of those things that like when you get it into this sort of hyper um hyper version of it it really sort of shows some of the differences just in sort of the the ethic of of, of writing comic books from america versus england i guess Mm-hmm. But uh, speaking of things that are ridiculous, <laughs> it's Thrill 8 Rogue Trooper. I spent so long trying to name drop Rogue Trooper to force you into a ring. <laughs> speaking of things that are Rogue Trooper. Oh, please. To try and break your system. I've, I do, I, you know, listen, I, I, I'll, I'll take easy ones. I want to I wanna make that clear. Like, I'm not oh, interested. up next? <laughs> I'm not interested. It's the sci-fi book scan and then, and then invasion. So just start getting, start okay. lining them up. <laughs> But so the script robots, Jerry Finley Day, art robot Baluda, letting robot Bill Nuttall. Uh, Baluda's uh, kind of a new artist here. He'll just do a couple rogue rogue troopers in like the 330s. And this almost feels like his tryout or something like that. Um, so, <laughs> oh my God. Um, <laughs> the evil Nords have created the ultimate assassination device, Steve. And it's these robots that look exactly like humans until they take their hats off. <laughs> and then... Their heads are like the warhead of like a of like a bomb, and then they have to hit their head with something hard, like their helmets or like the serving tray of a fancy dinner or something, and then they explode and kill everybody. <laughs> They're the perfect assassination tools. <laughs> I, I I gonna get a dictionary and just look up the word perfect. <laughs> If there's not if there's not a picture of a dude whose head is a bomb that is somehow not visible when they're wearing a hat, then I don't think you have a good dictionary. That's my that's what I'm saying. Goddamn Oxford English dictionary. Get out. <laughs> Come on. Need that new earth, um new Oxford English dictionary with a U. Um <laughs> But so 
<laughs> these guys, they're called, like, they're androids. They're called droidinators. Um, yeah, they got the hats. <laughs> There's an evil Nort doctor that, like, wears um, hunting gear that is behind them all. Um, he's tired of just taking out, of just destroying the Souther lines with them. So he's going after the ultimate game, Rogue Trooper. <laughs> we uh we bump into the titular blue dude and his biochip buddies just sort of you know standard wandering new earth as like the incredible hulk theme plays um or that's why i imagine it at least you know um <laughs> well, you know he sort of travels from town to town and then you know whatever but he comes a he comes across of a, a uh like, like Actually, a yeah given his he's after the traitor general and trying to track him down it's more it's akin to the original fugitive definitely more fugitive that's absolutely true but that is less of a distinctive like like uh like musical arrangement for wandering through the wastes you know that is true <laughs> no definitely yeah I, I i think we talked about that that this just sort of becomes yeah like a like rogue trooper quickly becomes sort of him wandering the earth like kung fu or the fugitive or the incredible hulk you know like every every week another guest star you know um but so in this case he comes his the guest stars are this uh village of souther refugees that are drawing water from a nearby water hole and rogue is worried that the water might be poisonous so uh he goes to help it turns out the water is, and it's only after he's like built a still and purified a whole bunch of water that these refugees reveal themselves to all be uh, droidinator replicants. It's a trap! <laughs> but I just love how much work they make him do before they reveal himself. You know, he's just like, it's only when Bagman has, uh, has analyzed their voices to find that they're synthesized that they like spring into action and take their hats off, basically. I love that. Their voices, they're synthetic. Like, no, our voices are not synthetic. No one noticed except for Bagman. <laughs> That'd be awesome. I'm reimagining the whole opening now, you know. <laughs> just a uh, just a, a French chef bringing in bringing in dinner um, <laughs> with the Dalek voice. Boom! The surprise exterminate. Um, anyhow, <laughs> um, so they they like try to basically take him hostage in the very uh, like what I guess like Blazing Saddles style. Like, hey, if you don't cooperate, I'll kill myself. Sort of way, uh, but. Instead, Rogue just sort of springs into action, like tackles some dudes, and you know, basically just kills this whole village of um ro of a bomb-headed robot guys. Mm -hmm. Um, it's very good, very good images of of Rogue just yeah, just gunning down whole crowds. Always a solid Rogue Trooper moment. Um, so but they've the the robots have made a, the call into the doctor, so he's coming, and Rogue's tired of being hunted, so he sort of concocts a plan. Uh, where he plays dead and gets taken into a uh, like an autopsy um, um, theater, and as the doctor goes to make an incision in Rogue's um, chest, he opens his eyes, which apparently glow or something. But then he opens his mouth and breathes out a lungful of killer New Earth air, which instantly kills the doctor. <laughs> I like it's, that. It's good. It's it's basically the uh, the assassination attempt from from Dune, right? From that uh, that Duke Leto does in Dune, where he has the the teeth with the poison with the tooth of the, the poison gas in it. But this one works. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, uh, yeah, so he then, he, uh, yeah, so he takes out the doctor with the poison gas, and then, uh, Bagman and Gunner go into overdrive and kill the rest of the Norts. And it's good times. <laughs> Walks up into the sunset. One man's air is another man's poison. <laughs> um, I love that Bagman takes all these androids out, uh, Norts out, sorry, with, uh, explosive pogs. Yeah, he got the <laughs> Rogue Trooper, it's back in Pog form. <laughs> yeah, no, they're just these little discs. The one closest to us looks just like, oh, that's a red, you know, silver-lined Pog or something. It's true. Yeah. It's got, like, Aztec featuring. It's awesome. <laughs> um, I have to say, the artwork on this is astonishingly good because Beluda does something that we've seen very little of in the prog so far, which is to use uh, grayscale washes. Mm. So the black and white artwork that we've seen is pretty much always, it is line art, effectively. Yeah. But we've actually got painted washes in there to give texture to it. Plus, Beluda also puts a hell of a lot of detail into what's going on here. And it, it's, I found the art just fascinating. Throughout. Absolutely. Yeah, there's so much, there's so much little detail, even in like these robot guys with their, with their hats and stuff. Um, and yeah, I like the, uh, there's one image I'm looking at of just like Rogue at the, um, at the stream with one of the colonists, like with, with one of the colonists. And like talk yeah. about the po- the water being poisoned and stuff, but it's just like some beautiful, just just black and white art of just like these two characters meeting each other and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, I, it's really good. Yeah. I think I, I I feel like the wash tech like that sort of I think of that as being a a big feature a feature of a lot of these like sort of Mediterranean guys. Like I know Ca- uh, Casanova st- does a lot of things like that of just these using inks to really make the the pages appear very like like dark and things like that. Um, that looks really, really different from other things inside the Prague, you know? Well, um, I, I've said this for years. I, I love reading the Walking Dead comic, uh, which is obviously black and white. Mm-hmm. But I have always struggled with reading, um, for instance, essential collections of Marvel comics where they take mm. the color artwork, strip the colors out, and you're just left with the line work. And for me, that the line, the loss of color it removes any kind of sense of depth, and, and it becomes very difficult to read. Whereas once you add in, you go, well, this is a black and white comic, but that doesn't mean that we can't have things between black and white. Yeah. It makes it so much easier and so much more interesting to look at, and I, I absolutely comes true here. Plus, the, you know, looking at this, it seems like not only is it pending, but there's a lot of artistic technique going on to create mm-hmm. that depth. Like uh, page forty-nine, where Rogue's walking through the long weeds, and that—that's uh, ink scratching effects to, mm. to give the, the the impression of the weeds being in front of his legs, and it's. It's really, really good stuff, and you said he doesn't do much more for 2018. No, he only does like sad. yeah, he only does four or five progs, I think, um, in the in the three thirties. We'll definitely keep an eye out for those as as, yeah. as we get to them for sure. You know, I said that the I was joking about them sounding like Daleks. I had this in the panel where the two of them just yell, "That are they? That are Absolutely. But speaking of classics of science fiction. It's Thrill 9 Sci-Fi Book Scan. <laughs> but, but Comrade, I wasn't. Oh, yeah, you were. Whatever. <laughs> Close enough. Um, so this is honestly something we, we've had a lot in these uh, uh, specials, which is just a big, uh, like, yeah, just list of, like, science fiction books of, like, basically, I think, like, pulp paperbacks for you, for kids yeah. to check out, essentially. Um, um, only one of which I've ever heard of, surprisingly enough. H.G. Wells, The Time Machine. Of course. These um, are all, they're, they're, they're all time time travel based, I should yeah, mention. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've heard of these authors, but I have, or s- several of these authors, but I haven't read the actual books that are being uh, talked about here. 
And then interestingly, the next page is, go and read these books, but they're out of print, so good luck finding them. <laughs> go to your um, special bookshops and libraries and stuff. Although I think, you know, they also sort of then have a list of, like, places to find science fiction stuff. So it becomes like a, a, a stealth, like, forbidden planet, um, <laughs> like, advertisement almost. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, knowing the the stores in London, it's like, oh, so they've listed Forbidden Planet, but where's the... I'm now wondering if the science fiction bookshop that I went to um, in the 2000s, which had been around for a while, if that didn't mm-hmm. exist yet, mm-hmm. and back when Charing Cross Road was bookshops. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. it feels like they're definitely here. They're just trying to give you a bunch of different, whatever, um, like England locations. So it's like London and Birmingham and then Manchester, and then Edinburgh and Wales and things like that. Um, I feel. Yeah, they say South Wales and the West, but not actually Wales at all. Um, <laughs> it's more than I could tell you. I don't know. <laughs> well, Br- Bristol is not Wales. Okay. <laughs> I can tell you that. All right. I can say one thing that I do, or uh, I don't actually know. I have, I have a couple feelings about it, but I think the, the big thing that's changed since, uh, the pop culture robot specs has started doing these book reviews instead of Rojaws in previous years is that there's no longer, um, there's no longer not like a out of 10 ratings and they no longer, uh, plug the Judge Dread annual in these, which they used to always do. <laughs> Like uh, yeah. nine point nine point five out of ten, it's the Judge Dredd, the Judge Dredd annual. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yes, and and also you can read the the page without the stench of garbage. Well, I mean, you know, some of that for that, that's that that can be a feature or a bug, um, depending on your feelings of of Rojas, I suppose. <laughs> but speaking of things that don't smell good, oh yeah. <laughs> Because it's nerve gas. It's Thrill 10 Invasion. Now, does the gas not smell good? Or does the effect it has on you make you think it doesn't smell good? I mean, is there any way of distinguishing between the two? I, it's, a fa- it's fair. I mean, you, you probably couldn't actually smell it without succumbing to its effects. But, I mean, it could be one of those things like with uh, with oil where they put a, uh, a, a smell within it so that you know if there's a leak or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> What I do know is that the script robot for This is Jerry Findlay Day, the art robot's Mike Dory, one of my favorites, and the leg robot's John Aldrich. And this, in fact, is my number one favorite invasion story! Oh, man! <laughs> it's a classic Prog 25 um, invasion. It's from... Uh, so, uh, in, in the distant future, Steve... You in, I've in... read this before. I, the, the the shotgun in the bath. I was like, I remember having issues with this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really, I really saw the opening for this. It's uh, a, a lot of the classic things aren't listed in like Barney or other like sources of that, that sort of say what thrills are in individual stories. So I just turned to uh, to the 1999 bombing of the city of of uh, Novatown in northeastern England by the Volgs, and I and I like did a dance because I was like, oh man, it's the it's crack crack. Vol- Dog's time. <laughs> um, so, but yeah. So again, distant future, 1999. Uh, <laughs> the newly built city of Novatown is uh, destroyed by uh, Volgan nerve gas. This is presumably as they're also like nuking the Midlands and things like that in the course of that New Year's Day uh, Prague One invasion. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, several months later. Uh, Bill, tough resistance leader Bill Savage and his number two Peter Silk enter Novatown on the run from the Volgan Empire that has invaded England. 
Um, inside, they find the one Novatown survivor who is this, like, uh, crazy hotel attendant guy <laughs> who happened to have a gas mask to hand when the nerve gas started. Um, sure, why not? Okay, you know, fair enough. But he's got a nice hotel. He checks uh, Savage and Silk in as uh, professional Vogue killers, draws them like a bubble bath and like Silk shaves and stuff like that. <laughs> Blissfully unaware that on their heels they're being tracked by a squad of Vogan troops. Uh oh. Uh oh. They arrive, uh, as, um, the old guy's bringing up coffee and toast and gets mer- ruthlessly bayoneted by, um, by the Vulgans that then burst. I think that's ruthless because the, the bayonets cross over inside him. Yeah, I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> Surely one should have bounced off the other. You, especially just on, yeah, the, the lines definitely do not work. But as Savage is like smoking his cigar in his bubble bath with his rubber duck, the, uh, the Vulgans burst in. Uh, they say, you know, we've got you. We've dropped. You've dropped your guards. Now you'll die a clean death. <laughs> and Sh- shall I do my Bill Savage? Of course, please. Oh, I don't know. This is a British rubber duck, and look what he's just hatched out. Quack quack vogue. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. Um, quack quack vogue is the greatest um greatest invasion quote it gets referenced in uh in a disaster 1990 when he kills all those ducks and drives a duck around um it's just good times <laughs> that needs to be on a t-shirt you can buy gazer to the fist of dread you need quack quack vogue i keep that's like my number one <laughs> my number one demand of, of 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 rebellion or like you know number two Number two is like put is like find a way to get these old progs online, but number one is like, you know, I could use a quack quack Vogue shirt. You know? It's a shame Savage is currently so serious and thus like, you know, he's not gonna like punch Howard Quartz in the face and you know, make a reference to it, you know. Well, I don't know. The recent uh recent Savage strip, I think he's getting closer and closer to it. Um man, that I'm so ready. Uh, <laughs> Just a weird, a weird stagger, st- uh, staggerly, uh, chorus with, uh, that, that's duck based. Um, but so as he's doing this, the Vulcan patrol is coming in. Um, luckily he and Silk are able to find more gas, Savage and Silk are able to find more gas masks and explode an unexploded nerve gas canister, which kills the rest of the Vulcans. So they're like, ah, my lungs <laughs> as they choke to death. And the story ends with um, Savage turning to Cameron and being like, we've revenged this town, but we can't rest until we've made a ghost of every dirty Vogue in Britain. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Sorry, I just, this is my, this one's my favorite. And so to have it, to see it reprinted again is just, um, I'm super stoked. <laughs> um, yeah, so awesome. And then finally... Finally, speaking of uh, ultimate villains like the Volgans, it's Thrill Eleven, The Dark Judges, which is the uh, back cover, which is a trio of Dark Judge figurines that have been created by Alan Rowley of London. And they look like they're pretty cool for homemade figures, I guess. They seem like like pipe cleaner base or something like that. I think um, so, yeah. But it's of uh, Judge Mortis, ju- uh, Judge Fear, and Judge Death sort of hanging out. Uh, presumably doing a, ju- a Judge Fire one would have been kind of easy because you just sort of take a base, one of these models, and set it on fire. You're like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> but with that, oh my gosh, 
Stephen Lacey of the Fantastic Cast Podcast, we have completed the 1983 sci-fi special! Woohoo! All right. And so the one question remains. What were your top and bottom thrills? And I, I had to really think about top thrill because mm. uh, there were two contenders, both of which were quite ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but it, I, I'm not going to give it to the Judge Dredd story because whilst that was ridiculous, plenty of Judge Dredd is ridiculous. Um mm. But the ridiculous story that was also coupled with the best artwork in this issue and stands out enough from the rest of the ongoing story to really take my attention was the Rogue Trooper strip. Nice. That, that artwork absolutely swung it for me. And because it was a nice self-contained story, I do find the, the longer stories in Rogue Trooper less interesting than the sort of tales of New Earth, shall we say. Mm. Um, I just, it really, you know, pointy heads aside, it really, <laughs> really did it for me. And it was yeah. the absolute delight reading this issue. All right. And what was your bottom thrill? Uh, well, I, I, I could do so in a nice way, but I think six pages of text is probably the best way. To, <laughs> <laughs> the, the text story um, can go. That's super duper fair. Um for me, I'd say I, I actually like I think we have solidarity on this. I really like the rogue, you know, I sort of gave it some some guff, but I really love the Rogue Trooper story in this as well. Um the like you said, the art's really um amazing and just the story's really fun. I mean, I don't know, like I like as much as I, I poke fun at it, just the ridiculousness of these robots with bomb heads is really <laughs> like over the top and funny and kind of what you're looking mm-hmm. for in a rogue trooper story. I think especially like one of these self-contained ones. And yeah, man, uh the Von Ballen tape, I just don't like words, you know? <laughs> and so it's always tough. If I had to give a non-text one, it'd, it'd be Mach one just because of the reasons we talked about out of it you know this sort of late 70s racism um but yeah those two are sort of definitely sort of way down there an hour later and i've completely forgotten the mach one story was in here <laughs> that's what they that's what they get that's what they get you with mach one is that it's sort of like you forget and then you look back and you're like whoa <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2000 AD forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Steve, where can we find the Fantasticast? You can head over to uh, thefantasticast.com where you'll see uh, all of our episodes there. If you search Fantasticast on any of the podcast things, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, um, Overcast, things like that, you will also find us there. So, yeah, you know, there's 270-odd episodes out there. Don't feel the need to start at the very beginning. You know, pick your favorites or whatever, but do come join us. We have a lot of fun. We're on Twitter at Fantasticast. If you want to follow me personally, I'm around as at Quiz Lacey. That's Q-U-I-Z-L-A-C-E-Y. Yeah, I appreciate um, in your, you've remastered your first, a few episodes, I think, and I like how in in that first one you say, this is the one uh, people always start with, I wouldn't recommend it, which I feel is true for almost everybody's first podcast. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's something which uh, has fallen off the bandwagon a bit, mostly because I've... uh, the time it takes to redo it, but um, I have gone and sort of re-edited the earlier episodes and then done like a producer's commentary, especially uh-huh. for things where um, uh, you know, Andy, my co-host, and I thought that certain jokes and comments were appropriate at the time, and we now look back and go, oh God, why did we say that? Why did we make that joke? We don't want to delete them because you know, yeah. we 
don't want to pretend that we never said those things, but then to sort of reckon with it and to take ownership of the of, of the you know, for instance, uh, the way we handle the sexism in the earlier comics would mm. be to sort of, in our mind, cast a wry look at it and go, really? But that didn't necessarily come across so well. And it seemed to, you know, some people have written and said, it seems like you're you're actually accepting this. It's like, ah, yeah, we never intended to do that. Mm. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but uh, I lost the notes for the third one. And oh, no. Time to re-listen. <laughs> re-listen. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something I thought, well, let, let, let's put that out there because people are listening and let them know that it gets better absolutely and and uh, everyone here should come back for two for space Peter 2000 next time uh as skiz as skiz arrives in a uh, birmingham which i believe is how it's pronounced um <laughs> it, it ju- is, it's birmingham don't don't say ham at the end you'll have all oh. the brits going no no um. I'll, I'll definitely try my best uh, skiz seems like the most english of all the comics that we've read so far just in terms of accents and class issues and things like that uh but judge dread will fight the starborn thing rogue troop will finish up for Neuro, Tharg will run afoul of some thrill suckers, and will go on adventure with the Chrono Cops, one of the greatest time twisters ever. Until then, I'm Conrad, he's Steve, and we are Space Spinner 2000! Splendig Verthrig! Splendig Verthrig! <laughs> <laughs>